0: Good morning Radha.
1: Good morning Vishnu.
0: So I'm looking forward uh, to this uh, conversation in this uh, series of interviews we are doing with people who have worked in education for a while and they're interested in education. So why don't you uh, tell our listeners a bit about uh, yourself, what did you study, what have the key aspects of your career been, what are your main areas of focus today? Sure.
1: Okay, so let's start with what did I study? Okay, so very formally, I did my undergrad in, uh, I majored in genetics, zoology and chemistry. We used to have something called a triple major, this was uh, in Nizam College in Hyderabad, Osmania University, and then I went on to do a masters in environmental toxicology. Um, I wanted to do a masters in (coughs) molecular biology, that's what I really was keen on, but Um, My professors had advised me that, uh, you know, there were very few places that were offering genetics or molecular biology at that time. So they said maybe you should move on to doing something else that would build on your understanding of genetics and molecular biology. So I found this really interesting course on environmental toxicology. Because I did have some preliminary interest at that time in ecology, I was always quite keen on ecology. So anyway, I did a master's in environmental toxicology and then moved on to um, doing an M.Phil at JNU um, in the School of Environmental (coughs) Sciences where I worked with an ecologist, uh, Dr. Vrij Gopal to do um, an MPhil thesis on heavy metal accumulation in plants in the Yamuna, you know, that kind of thing. And by which time I think there was some maturity in my understanding of uh, where I wanted to go. And I was very, very keen on uh, looking at ways of, um, um, literally, actually at that point my main thing was I do not want to look at physical and chemical processes of treatment. Because I believe that we shouldn't be adding more to treat, you know, we shouldn't be contaminating more in the process of treating something that's been contaminated. So I was very keen on working using micro microbial systems and biological systems to clean environmental conditions, right? Um, by that time I had also done a one-year sort of um, job, you could call it, with the Central Pollution Control Board. Uh, and I was, uh, I had done some work on the Ganga Project Directory. So I was uh, deeply sort of Im- impressed, Im- I mean the, 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 w- the impression that was left in my head was of uh, how much work needs to be done to clean up the mess that we seem to have created.
0: And when was this? This was… 84. 84, okay. Uh,
1: no, I'm not 84, it was 86. Okay. It was 86. I worked at CPCB in 86. Mm-hmm. And it just shook me to see how contaminated our rivers were and all that. So I decided to do my PhD. Uh, you know, applied for the CSI fellowship, got it. Moved on to IIT Bombay, at the Centre for Environmental Science and Engineering, and then did my PhD um, on uh, detoxifying um, sort of uh, tannery wastewater. Detoxifying tannery wastewater, which contained hexavalent chromium, and I developed a lab-scale process using microbial systems. To detoxify hexavalent chromium and also to treat uh, water that had very high concentrations of iron
0: Is that the hexavalent chromium is the same thing as the Erin Brokovich?
1: Yes, that okay. is the one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So
0: you know Julia Roberts.
1: So yes, I know Julia Roberts, right?
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So
1: yeah, that's broadly what I studied uh, form in, a, in a formal system. Yeah. The reason I'm saying formal system is because uh, you know I. There was so much learning that happened after that in life that um, this is yeah this is my formal education if you, you could call it that. And then you were saying like what have, what have the key aspects of your career been? And I think you know uh, the only way I can really explain it is that my sort of motto in life has been sort of uh, embrace as many new opportunities as you can get so any new projects like even when I was working as a consultant or whatever I would always jump at new projects even if I didn't you know even I didn't have the domain knowledge for that even if I didn't have the domain knowledge I always felt like here is an opportunity to learn something so I would jump into new projects and then sort of really get immersed in it and and study in the process so that's how a lot of my understanding of hydrogeology for example, Uh, And you talked about Erin Brockovich, so there was this one project I did in the US which I was sort of the technical lead and the project manager on was to clean groundwater contaminated with hexavalent chromium in California. PG&E had contaminated the groundwater and we had to clean it up and I was the lead on that. And my PhD work after about, uh, let's see, six years of my PhD I was able to actually directly apply it in the field. Uh, because it was hexavalent chromium. So, um, there I found that my understanding of hydrogeology was very limited. Okay, and, but then here we really needed to understand because it was groundwater. You had to access it, you had to be able to have in-situ treatment processes. So, there I jumped right in and I studied with this hydrogeologist who was on my team and really understood, uh, you know, at least the basic principles of hydrogeology. So, I find that all through life this is what has happened but i have always wanted to learn through so that is sort of that has been a key aspect and another element was you know i I didn't know anything about urban planning being a hardcore technologist and a biologist so there was another project that i worked on uh, this was in the middle east and there i uh, you know this was actually building a new city in abu dhabi so when the whole issue came to urban planning i was like yeah i don't mind (laughs) you know so, I was the environmental lead on it, but you know, took a lot of... Uh, so, I find, and I say this to a lot of young people, that I think the most important thing for me, you know, when you say, what are the key aspects of your career, it has been uh, to be sort of unashamedly, you know, say, I don't know and can I learn and jump into the project. So,
0: so yeah. for over a decade now, you've been more of an educator than yeah. an environmental scientist yeah. or technologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you think all that... Uh, period of your life was uh, relevant, uh, How is it relevant to uh, the work you are doing as an educator uh, today or the last decade?
1: Good question, <laughs> because I have also reflected on this, uh, there is another thing I do, every 4 years I reflect on what I have done in my life, okay. So, uh, when I shifted to teaching environmental science in schools, uh, because I... And when after, was this? Uh, this was about 18 years after I had been a consultant okay, and I was just okay. a bit tired of hmm. Um, This was when I was in the Middle East and working on this city that was being built Mm -hmm. in Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like uh, we're doing, we're making the same mistakes uh, and we're using the same approaches in trying to solve the problems that we've created. And I just felt like fundamentally, it is our education system that's at fault. It's the way we've educated ourselves, okay. We've sort of believed in a certain uh, way of thinking and uh, addressing situations and solving problems and instead, and, and we, and what we've done is created more problems. We've relied way too much on technology to answer all the questions uh, facing us and we haven't looked at it from uh, what today I understand as a systems view. You know, we didn't look at it interdisciplinarily. This is the learning I had during the course of my career but it really hit me when I was working on Mazdar. That, you know here we are again looking at renewable technologies you know and not looking at the picture not looking at this integrated picture we're not looking at, at at it as a system and we're not addressing we're not addressing it by understanding that there are these interconnections and feedback loops that exist and if we don't understand this we won't be able to address many of the big so there problems was
0: too much have. optimism about technology alone yes
1: alone and and we didn't look at other elements and also we had we didn't also understand uh, experiential knowledge you know i really felt very strongly and this was a personal thing like i felt like you didn't value experiential knowledge you valued much but more where did uh, theoretical. that insight
0: come from so about that experiential insight knowledge.
1: actually when i was in the middle east and you know and we did a lot of traveling uh, uh, we went to iran and my husband and i loved traveling so we went and talking to people and understanding cultures, you know, when you begin to understand diverse cultures, you suddenly realise that you're not listening to each other at all and and you think that political problems, whether it is, uh, you know, whether it is the Palestinian issue or any of these issues, and also whether it is um, what we think are politi- socio-political issues, fundamentally there is an ecological basis for it. And fundamentally it's because of this resource struggle. You know, we're all sort of struggling for a given set of resources And then because you have an understanding of technology, you feel, oh, I can actually master that. So in Mazdar, for example, you are living in the desert, right? You are trying to develop a city and you want to grow your own food. And where are you getting the water from, right? The groundwater is brackish, you're on the coast, okay? But you're trying to treat that brackish water and grow your own food. So then there seem to be so many disconnects for me, because when I was talking to some of the local Arabs, they were like, you know, we never grew our own food like this. We, we depended on, a, on, a, on, on dates and meat and milk, etc. But our diet was very different. Okay, So then you begin to say, that what, are you, what are you trying to really force into a situation? You think that using technology, you can solve these problems but you're not really looking at it from uh, the point of view of um, what is this system this is a desert system how best can one exist in this system and should one even as hu- as a human society exist in this part in this form you know so those kinds of fundamental questions came to me and then i decided I really need to go to a school and work with children and, and really relook at. So it was an extremely ideological <laughs> struggle that I sort of left, uh, not left, I just decided to create a shift hmm. in my life, yeah.
0: So I have, uh, I mean we know each other for a while, I've yeah. seen you teaching in classes, I've read a few of your papers in EPW and some of your other work and uh, if I did not know your background, which yeah. is more as a scientist and technologist, yeah. uh, I would not really think that your background is fundamentally that, right? I would, a lot of the things you talked about are uh, uh, systems, about uh, human communities, the commons, and things like that. So, um, and uh, you said that you don't really have formal education in this. So, a uh, couple of questions here. So, one is, uh, Uh, Did you have some humanities courses, some exposure to this uh, in your uh, environmental science and technology career? That is one question and something which you can either answer now or later uh, in our conversation is uh, I come across many students, young uh, school students uh, who are very interested uh, uh, in working on the environment. They are not uh, necessarily science people and they feel a little uh, overawed sometimes by science and technology. So the question really is that, uh, so two questions, so one is how did you pick up all this insight uh, into the uh, systems and society part of uh, this whole environment ecology thing? And the second question is um, uh, from uh, what uh, standpoints can students, come into working on the environment, um, Mm -hmm. uh, is it, you know, do they have to uh, really come from science and technology, can they come from some other space and what do they need to understand about science and technology because that has been your Mm -hmm. formal grounding. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So So, uh, to come to your first question, you know, I didn't do any formal courses in, um, uh, (coughs) in your classic humanities, say for example economics or sociology or any of that, right. But when I was working as a consultant, this was my first, I mean, my memory, if my memory serves me right, when I was doing this project uh, in, when I was a consultant in Bombay, I was working on a World Bank project actually. And we were looking at credit lines that came into the country for pollution control and pollution prevention. So we were doing some assessments for those credit lines, you know, how the money was being used, what projects they were being used for, etc. So we were looking at it from a technical perspective. There, there were all these terms like LIBOR and you know, what is a credit line, interest rates, etc. And my brother was an economist actually, I spoke with him and and he was the first one who took some classes for me in and we used Samuelson actually, that was my first foray into economics. So we would, I would actually try and understand what is demand and supply and I wanted to get to the fundamentals of economics because I also had a, you know, had such a loose understanding of what is GDP and so when I understood all that, given the context that I come from, an ecology, biology background, it just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, why would you evaluate, I mean, why is there not a connection between resource utilization and pollution? Why are economic I mean, why is there, why is the economic measurement not understanding the cost of drawing resource from the earth? you know why is that not happening okay then uh, as a consultant we got other projects uh, on total cost accounting these were early days of this is before
0: carbon credits and yeah 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 these are
1: early days of Mm. global reporting initiatives Mm. and Mm -hmm. sustainability reporting Mm -hmm. I'm talking about 96 97 Mm -hmm. okay I've quickly dated myself right there so (laughs) uh, there were these companies in the UK small companies which were sort of looking at Uh, environmental accountability, environmental accounting. So that is where I began to really understand that there is a problem here, you know. I mean, why are we looking at these as two different things and and, and isn't it common sense that if you are using a resource, there is a pollution created, obviously, or there is a waste that uh, what we define as waste that you're discarding, which is contaminating the environment. So why are we not costing for that? Right. And then you also have uh, treatment plants that uh, industrial facilities, for example, have to set up. So there is a cost to that. Now, why is that not factored into an understanding of development or, you know, all of that? Plus, also, I didn't really understand what development meant because I had never really formally studied it. You know, for me, it was ecology, conservation, microbiology, all of that. Then so there were all these questions that I had. So I think a lot of that originated then. Uh, plus, I came from a family. I come from a family where there is a lot of political discussion. My father was a bureaucrat, so you know there was a lot of discussion at home uh, as well around the politics of equality and uh, justice and fairness. So I think somewhere uh, that at the back of my head, I would say in- impacted me. But for me, the justice and fairness issues were always with respect to ecology. It was always with respect to. Uh, plants, animals, and natural, anything that had life. For me, the, for some reason, the equality associated social inequality, uh, as an Indian, you know, you saw it all around you, and, and you know, coming from middle-class homes, you saw the constraints at home in terms of resources, and you saw how people lived, etc. But it didn't hit me as much, uh, whereas natural, uh, the issues of fairness and inequality between humans and nature is what hit me much more. But because of all this, I think, some of it um, also uh, permeated very, very slowly and informed my thinking. But it was in 2000 that I first articulated these connections because a friend in Bombay, uh, who's no more actually, Vijaya Venkat, who influenced my uh, a lot of my thinking about food and the connections between ecology and food, okay, so she actually asked me to write a paper and another friend and i actually wrote this paper on um, food
0: and your formal and work did not mind. involve no, any no, of this at that all. point of time not
1: at all not at okay. all but i had made some personal life changes because okay. i had some uh, i had some issues of you know respiratory issues hmm. and i had made some dietary changes and then the connection between ecology and food kicked in for me okay and then i wrote this paper um, on ecology uh, food and uh, it was called sustainable, sustainable production and consumption of food mm-hmm. because I had begun to understand the word sustainability mm-hmm. and by that time we were all familiar also with our common future and this whole idea of sustainable development. You know, so development. how
0: were you uh, getting to read and have conversations on these things? Uh? With friends actually Okay.
1: Yeah, and, and Vijaya you know we would have a lot of discussions on healthy food and that Mm -hmm. it should be non-toxic and then those are that's when I began to draw the connections between chemicals and pesticides Mm -hmm. and all of that and The food we grow and its relationship Mm -hmm. to us Mm -hmm. So this was 98 99 Mm -hmm. 2000 that period and then this friend said you have to write this Mm -hmm. paper Mm -hmm. and I presented it in Hyderabad that an Indian women scientists conference and then it got published in EPW Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Then from there my interest really sort of, okay, okay. I really began to look but it was always at the back of my head okay, because this was okay. only 2000 I was still working mm-hmm. as a consultant so so that is how slowly I developed interest mm-hmm. in reading about it mm-hmm. because it suddenly hit me that oh my god theoretically we talk about interdisciplinarity because I had done environmental science right mm-hmm. in college and in, mm-hmm. in university and PhD and all that but I had not connected the intellectual aspect of it to the practical aspect of it. Mm. So then it really dawned on me, this idea of interdisciplinarity. Mm. And subsequent to that, I really began to uh, read as much as possible and Mm. and try and draw these connections and understand a little bit more about uh, Mm. traditional knowledge systems, Mm. uh, people's understanding of, you know, how do communities engage Mm. with ecology. So it's, I mean, then it was just rapid reading.
0: Okay. Yeah, a lot
1: of reading and So yeah. you
0: came yeah. to education uh, because of a certain lived experience, some of these yeah. questions which were burning uh, yeah. yeah. for you, you had made certain uh, connections or you had some uh, yeah. criticism yeah. of uh, yeah. what yeah. was there in these yeah. c- disciplines And also you know okay. living in
1: Bombay and working okay. as a consultant, it just moved me every time I went by train Okay. I don't know there was like a physical, And I always tell students mm. this and and I and as educators I feel it's very very important and you were asking me about you know students who are interested in environmental science is that I feel that there has to be an emotional experience which you then have to convert into mm. uh, education and understanding. Mm. Mm. It's. At first, it is an emotional response to a a, a condition of deprivation, Mm. it is, Mm. because you suddenly see all these people living on railway tracks Mm. and everything and you're like, I'm an environmental scientist, what am Mm. I doing? Mm. You know, it's a fundamental question you begin to ask yourself. Mm. It's true though, sometimes you can can go past in a train and not Mm. notice it.
0: Or not notice the connection with being an
1: environmental scientist. scientist. I think some of it, as parents and as educators, we have to expose children Mm. to different circumstances. Mm. And for young people, I feel like the most, the, the, the biggest learning that you can have is to travel and to really, and travel, I don't mean go to different countries, but I'm saying even within your own city, even within your own surroundings. You know, get your head out of a book for some time get your ears out of a headphone sometimes yeah. and, and sort of just experience, you know, work on the land, get your hands dirty Education has to include that
0: So tell us a bit more since uh, uh, you've started talking about what uh, young children yeah. should be exposed to Yeah. So if you take a child, let's say the child is in a regular school, not right. in a school like right. Rishi Valley where I know you've taught for several years right. So let's say the child is a in a regular school in a metro or some other town uh, in india and let's say the child is 10 or 12 years uh, old and uh, the child has another uh, five years or so before he or she goes to college so uh, so what uh, kind of uh, activities should schools or parents get these children to do you did mention about a few things but can you talk a little bit more it could be experiential activities you're talking about or even some of the things like for example you said you had a fuzzy idea about GDP pretty late in life. So what kind of uh, uh, theory, exposure as well as practical experiences of projects uh, can one, uh, should one provide children?
1: Uh, um, you know, that's a that's actually a question that I have thought about a lot, and I know you and I have discussed this also in the past. That how should we design? So curriculum design is something very close to my heart because I feel like often, you know, it's like a buffet we serve our children. You know, I mean, for me, it's always this analogy. It's like we give them these whole set of things which are not connected at all, and then we say now pick. How is that child supposed to do that, right? I mean, you. Uh, we, we teach them and, and we don't show them the connection between a math class and a science class and a history class and a geography class because everything is in silos and we as teachers also teach them as silos, right? But can we have a curriculum? So f- my first thing would be, you know, one is the curriculum itself. The other thing is what can parents do and then what we as educators can do. Mm. So changing the curriculum takes a while. So let's go with the easier, so easier yeah, relatively yeah. easier. Yeah. So as educators, what can we do, right? As educators, one is provide, uh, when I say exposure, I mean, you know, grounding them in fundamental principles and concepts of science, very important. Mathematics. And when we talk about history, geography, you know, history of science, for example, is very exciting. So then children understand that history is not just Battle of Panipat and, you know, and, and an 1857 revolt or the Second World War or the First World War. First World War, Second World War also had their origin in various other uh, phenomena and developments. Okay, so and then also they've impacted science so much. So when you bring history of science in, history becomes more exciting even for science students, right? Otherwise, they look at history as learning the names of battles and you know, that's it, okay? So that's one aspect of it. Then the history of society, how has society evolved? How have civilizations evolved? So then history taught in a very different way as opposed to um, you know, teaching it as a sub, as a separate subject. Mm. Okay, that's one part of it. As educators, even as a science teacher, for example, as a biology teacher, I can bring in connections to history. Mm. Okay, which then begs the question mm. that why is it that as teachers we don't sit together to develop courses for our students? See, even if I'm teaching in an I.C.S.E. or an I.S.C. Mm-hmm. school. I can sit with my colleagues. It's that all the maths teachers and all the science teachers don't have to sit separately. All the history and the uh, geography teachers don't have to sit separately. And you have
0: attempted this. Yes, because in like
1: say for example in uh, in Rishi Valley where Hmm. I taught there have been theme uh, you know sessions for the middle school because Hmm. the thing is with the higher classes you have the pressures Hmm. of the Hmm. final Hmm. exam whatever Hmm. but it has been done like for example I remember we did this whole thing on on Tagore you know there Hmm. was this It was lovely to watch that, you know, the various aspects of Tagore, like his poetry, his science, the plays he's written. And this okay. was done over a period of a month. Kids okay. prepared for it and did a presentation. Okay. So that was the theme, you know, because okay. it was Tagore's 125th, I think, anniversary whatever. Okay. So, and then water, you know, similarly, you know, take water as a theme. And you can, uh, and if all the teachers sat together, then you know, how do you bring out water in an English class, in a history class, mm. in, a, in a biology class, in chemistry, uh, in geography, in history, you know, so how do you... Is know, this
0: just a nice idea or how does it actually, does it actually influence people when they come out and engage with issues, do research?
1: I think it does because it allows you to think a little bit outside of just a box, you know. You you don't come out of uh, say math class and say okay I'm done with math now I'm going for biology you and I have a feeling that this whole aversion to certain subjects we could bring it down a little bit because um, there is also you know it's it's very interesting like say for example our school system uh, I'm digressing a little bit from what we were talking but in our school system it's like children who are bright do science you know and even among the science those who are who have a certain uh, kind of um, you know those who get higher marks do maths physics chemistry and those who don't get that high marks do biology so there are these you know predetermined things that we have put children into because what's our measure of success the marks see a child may be very keen on mathematics but may not get the marks because the child is doing looking at mathematics it's, it's probably not studying mathematics the way you want it for that exam, for example. Okay? It's very possible. Same thing with biology, right? So, uh, so as educators, I feel we really need to work together more at the school level. We talk about interdisciplinarity at a college level, I've noticed that, you know. But at a school level, as educators, we have to sit together. Okay, mm-hmm. that's important. We have to communicate as educators. We have to mm-hmm. sort of not just talk about why is the child not performing well in class, you know, that so kind of thing. what idea.
0: I'm not, because you had like a long uh, career, 18 years doing a yeah. uh, lot of interesting things, some of these things were also quite uh, pioneering yeah, uh, yeah. in uh, many ways, right? And uh, uh, perhaps to be able to see uh, the issue in uh, trying to work with brackish water in agriculture or uh, uh, when you look out at the people uh, living on the tracks through the windows of the train in uh, Mumbai. To be able to see this and see the connection to your discipline, perhaps that is possible only when uh, you have a little bit more uh, idea of the connections, a little bit knowledge about other disciplines. And I'm not so certain that uh, a teacher who has done a BA started teaching whether uh, she or he can fully appreciate the need for this uh, educators to get together for this interdisciplinarity and perhaps uh, we need to educate teachers as well on the relevance of this
1: yeah and you know there's the, and, and you're absolutely right you know i came to teaching and i remember even when i was doing my phd my supervisor actually thesis supervisor had said Why don't you, now that you've submitted your thesis and you're done, apply for a position in IIT Bombay. And I was like, there's no way I'm applying for a teaching position now because I feel I have absolutely no life experience. And I always felt that one should come into teaching at a later age and I had the luxury of coming back to teaching. I'm not saying everybody does, but teacher education is absolutely critical. I mean, the thing is, you know, like you pointed out very, very correctly, some of it is life, a lot of it is life education. You know, your life experience informs the way you do things. But you know, some of this we can integrate through, very, very uh, thought through teacher education programs. I think it's very important to do that, yeah. And also as parents, for example, you know, as, as, as parents, it's, I think also parents can provide… So, so there are two things, right? The child spends a lot of time in school, has peers and engages with peers. But the, chi- but the child is… Uh, there's a, the very formative years of a child at home, right? So this combination of home and school environment for me is very critical. And parents and teachers engaging with each other, that I feel is very, very important. I know it sounds a little idealistic because you know a lot of these, a lot of our schools have huge number of children. Many parents are first gener- generation, I mean many kids are first generation learners or second generation learners. Is it possible for all parents and teachers to sit together and, and, and engage about a child? I mean I know some of it sounds very idealistic but the point is then what are we doing? Yeah. That is my big question. Yeah. You know why are we educating? Ourselves or our children. Why are we educating? Mm. Right? I think we have to ask some very hard questions. Mm. Okay. Now, say for example, government schools. You know, everybody disses government schools, and they say, oh. But uh, there are many parts of India where government schools are very good, mm. because teachers are dedicated. They are from that place. They understand that place. They understand how to communicate with children from that place. They will use local languages, local examples to you know so so we so so i feel like we are moving towards a system where we're trying to find one magic bullet for education and we want to spread it across the country and say okay this is the way to go forward and i feel that is very very dangerous
0: yeah i think uh, you were uh, when we were talking yesterday you were talking about some of the drawings these children yeah. from government schools have made and how much they reveal through un- what we would think perhaps are unconventional drawings but for them it's an expression yeah. of themselves. We saw it in this uh, uh, program in Triple I T Hyderabad which right. we did for this uh, right. CSR funded uh, right. uh, organization and uh, in many ways right. they were able to express themselves very creatively and they had right. radical thoughts which right. uh, don't necessarily come the best schools. I uh, like your point about the uh, with thought-through education, even a teacher who it is unrealistic to think that you know teachers yeah. will have this kind of lived yeah. experience. But uh, I mean, in your online sustainability course in Azim Premji yeah. University, yeah. or even in the programs you did for uh, Asset Summer Program or uh, Genwise in the last uh, couple of years, we see a lot of that happening, right? Where a seventh or eighth grader yeah. is able to uh, grapple quite intelligently yeah. with something an adult may be yeah. stuck with. Yeah. Totally. So. Absolutely.
1: And you know, what is very interesting is, uh, since you talk, uh, so I wanted to complete one point about parents, okay? Parents, all, you know, today parents are in this situation, at least a lot of parents I know, are in this situation where they're like, our kids are getting so much factual information anyway. So what are we going to teach them? What are schools going to teach them? You know, that is, that is a question. But I just feel as parents, one is exposure. You know, exposure to different circumstances. We tend to keep our children, particularly middle and upper middle class children, we tend to shelter our children more and more these days, I've noticed that. Yes, because we're worried about security issues, we're worried about all kinds of issues, I agree. But providing exposure to different situations, to different socio-ecological situations, very, very important. That I feel parents must do, really must do. And also engage much more about what is happening around us. Say for example, a water crisis in Bangalore or Bombay or whatever. Sometimes we live in buildings where children have no clue. Parents also have no clue because Mm. they're also not engaging, you know. As adults also, we're not engaging because Mm. we don't want our lives to be disrupted by all this. Mm -hmm. We will pay that money, get a tanker. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, this morning we were talking about recharge wells. It's like we don't really care. You know, somebody else has to solve the problem. So how do you engage on a day-to-day basis with your life? Mm. Parents have. To do that with children. Okay, first parents have to engage, and we as adults have to engage, and then we have to engage about that with our children. Okay? Asking simple questions. Where do you think our water comes from? That you can have over the dining table that conference that discussion. But before that, you have to know where the water comes because from. Most parents most don't parents know. Most parents don't know this. this. Okay. Yeah. So you you do that. Then where do you think our food comes from? Yeah. Hey, listen, I mean, you're saying you don't like this bengal or you don't like This thing. So let's sort of talk about where does this come from and and why are we eating watermelon in winter, you know? Why do we want to? So I'm saying very simple questions we have to ask ourselves and engage collectively with our children and maybe this is a great opportunity for parents and children to learn together. Why do we believe that as adults we have all the answers for our children? Maybe we have more questions. So that's one thing for adults, right? So I feel as parents and as educators, the, these are some of the things that we have to do. The science will come. Hmm. I mean to seriously, hmm. there's so much that you can get on, you know, that, that you can get through various other ways of doing it. Um, I will come back a little later to that earlier question you asked me about, you know, children want to do environmental hmm. science. Hmm. And, you know, because we're on a thread of something else Yeah,
0: point. yeah. So I'm uh, probably going to come uh, to that right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a more uh, transactional uh, yeah. question. So, at Genwise, uh, you lead a track called uh, Planetary Web, Nature, Society and the Individual. And uh, on one hand, uh, we want um, all children Mm -hmm. to have some uh, exposure to this track and to taste this a bit because uh, many children and even parents do not know what is this whole thing, Nature, Society and Individual, what kind of perspectives does it uh, involve and uh, so on. And the other part of this is there are certain children who are more interested in ecology, Mm -hmm. environment, uh, development, Mm -hmm. um, uh, things like this. So the question is, uh, what are the goals of this uh, track? And maybe in this process you can even try to answer Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. earlier question. question. So
1: when we were talking about planetary web, right, remember one of the things that we were talking about was, one is exposure to nature, natural systems, but also to understand connections to understand that something that happens in one place impacts something else, right? In in, in a very simplistic way I'm saying this. Why was this important? Because we were talking about how do we bring these big questions of climate change, the planetary challenges that we face today. I mean, early stages of when we were discussing about the course, we were like, how do we bring this and the idea of sustainability? How do we bring all this into into the, uh, you know, purview of children? Right, Uh, the the kids that we deal with, and then we said, look, we and and I remember the first our first discussion was, should we do a course on climate change, Mm -hmm. right? And then I said, no, but climate change is is such a it's it's like it's not standing there by itself, it's not happening in a vacuum, so we have to begin. And then the course evolved, right? And we decided to call it Planetary Web because we said it is this. It's so important to have this visual of a web. Because it's such a fantastic way of understanding that there are these deep connections, and there are these are not direct connections, they are at a primary, secondary, tertiary, quaternary level connections, and most of the time we don't see it. We don't see it because we again are trained to live in silos, right? We don't see, and also we are alienated so much from our natural surroundings we are alienated from our source of water we are alienated from our source of food we are alienated from uh, from nature itself because we feel that to engage with nature we have to go to a park we have to go to a national park we have to do ecotourism we don't think about engaging with nature around us like we don't think that if i walk down the street in bangalore since we're sitting in bangalore that if i'm walking down an avenue i am engaging with nature There are all these trees around me, like, wow, how old is this tree? And you know, in this context, I just wanted to digress a little bit and tell you about this tree walk thing we do in Trivandrum, right? Where we walk down the street and we're looking at these trees and we're saying, oh, who planted them? Where did they come from? What is their botanical name? Why are they called this? You know, what's the value of these? Oh no, but you know, these originated in Africa or in some African country or it came from South America. Who brought it here? Then there's a little history around it. You know, actually when Tipu Sultan came to Sultan Bateri and then from there, this came, you know, so there were all these other stories that came up and then somebody else was telling us about how uh, when the British came, uh, you know, some of these saplings were brought by them and so on and so forth, right? So we learn when the Portuguese came, they brought something else with them. So we learn history by just walking down a street and looking at trees.
0: No, I have noticed that uh, quite an important uh, part of your uh, sessions is about seeing. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> yes, yes, the walk yes. we took in uh, with kids in Inventure Academy yeah, yeah. Uh, or you know the sitting and looking at the tree in yeah, the ECC NCC, in Whitefield right. and just yesterday uh, one of my friends who volunteers at the Ugly Indian. Right. Sent me this uh, video so they have a campaign now called Save the Trees, right? And I realized that what they are doing is something uh, so, what they're doing is so he sent me this video where uh, it's called Save the Trees, right? And this tree is getting choked, yes, by this metal barrier around it, yeah, yeah. which was planted by the municipality, correct, uh, to protect the small sapling, but correct. nobody comes and cuts this yes. now, yes. And I must have seen this happening, but I never really saw yeah, it, right? Yeah. So.
1: And so, I think it's great fun for children also and for adults as parents, you know. Like when you're walking down, and you know, I mean, both my husband and I, when we were walking down and friends as well. He grew up in Trivandrum. There's a stretch of road, a 1.5 kilometer that we walked on. We saw 21 species of trees. And he couldn't believe it, he grew up there. How come I never looked at these trees? It's then you realize nature is around you and, and you are not engaged. So let's, you know, so that mm. is why we said planetary web because we then we don't, since we don't see the trees, we also don't see how they're holding water, how they're holding soil, how they're actually preventing flooding in certain parts of the city. And then, when, there is a, when there's a whole set of trees being cut, there's a group of people who go and protest. And then there's like, oh, these are these jhanda wala. they're constantly protesting. But you don't realize that when those trees are severed, you are feeling hot. You need to turn up your air conditioning because cities are becoming warmer. Trees provide... So, so I'm saying, you know, that's just about trees. So in the planetary web, what we were thinking was that, you know, how can we get people to understand even these simple connections and if mm. we start with children mm. it would be a great way for them to learn to see and mm. I, and I draw this from my yoga understanding from my yoga teacher who used to say observation awareness sensitivity mm. so you first begin to observe mm. then you become aware like you said about mm. this metal thing you know and I saw that video as well and I was mm. like blown away by it okay mm. so you become when you see you become aware when you become aware you become sensitive And when you become sensitive, you take action because it's an emotional response, but the action has to be well thought through. So our planetary web, the thing was, it's not just about an emotional response and just being an activist. You just don't make noise. You learn the science, you learn the geography, you learn the history, you learn the sociology, you learn democracy, (laughs) you learn about the constitution. Put all those pieces together and say, how do I solve this problem?
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So, hoping to raise an interdisciplinary activist (laughs) and uh, even if you choose to do your math or science or whatever, but you never forget the the awareness of the connection remains with you. Exactly. And you can use math.
1: You know, like these friends of ours Hmm. in Tulir, in Siddhalingi, the the way they teach uh, mensuration Hmm. is measuring a paddy field. Hmm. You understand the diagonal, you understand Mm. area, you understand Mm. perimeter, Mm. you know, and then if you're doing permaculture, you understand Mm. circumference. How do you measure Mm. circumference? Mm. Then you get to the formula. So you can, so so just because you're interested in mathematics does not mean you don't connect to ecology. I mean, we have Mm. mathematician friends, you and I. Who are very keen ecologists as well and Mm. who are you know Mm. political as well so Mm. it's about how so imagination
0: Mm. and it
1: always comes back to this about Mm. you know people ask how can we make our classes more creative Mm. and i always feel like talk to a child Mm. okay before they've been corrupted into an adult Mm. there is imagination there and you alluded to the drawing Mm. thing Mm -hmm. there's imagination right there that is creativity and you as an adult also have to let serendipity play a bit of a role. When you keep your eyes open, I mean in ECC when we did Hmm. that thing, we saw one Hmm. anthill And that anthill, by Mm. chance we saw that anthill because Mm. somebody noticed it Mm -hmm. and that anthill became the heart of the whole course Mm. after that, Mm. you know, Mm. what is an anthill, how is fungus connected to Mm. ants and Mm. water Mm. and this and that and why are anthills here and, Mm. you know, eventually it led to an understanding of symbiosis, I mean, so, yeah, it uh,
0: would be a contradiction to uh, try and, uh, this uh, in a straight jacketed way right because some of this is going to emerge from the imagination of uh, students Um, so it's been actually quite a fascinating conversation and even though I've known you for a long uh, time (laughs) uh, I think uh, I learned a few new things of the way it was connected it was quite interesting so one uh, last uh, question before we end this conversation Um, so if you were to write a book Oh, what would it be called? What would it be about? Okay, yeah. you know my
1: favorite title for a book, because I am so—I mean, I feel so passionate about education and learning, actually, more than teaching—is learning as if the earth matters. That's what I would call it, or teaching as if the earth matters. Okay, because I just feel like—and what would it have? It's about—and—and—and and, and, and at this point in my life, I just feel that I want to be a collective learner. So I would actually call it learning slash teaching as if the earth matters and I would like to put down some basic principles of how we could learn as if the earth matters, okay. So if you want to use more technical terms, it would be about this whole idea and understanding of sustainability, what does it really mean, systems view of life, that would be at the heart of it actually, that would really be at the heart of it, Um, you know, understanding what a system means and then from that, so it has, so so I would like to write this book in, in, in the form of a manual, in the form of a modular thing so we can all pull out sections of it, work with it and build it up. So it has to be an alive book, you know, I don't want it to be one of those books which you write once and you forget about it. It would be great if different people took modules from it, used it, contributed to it i mean in an ideal world that's how i would like to to write that hmm, book hmm, hmm. so let's i'm yeah. started working <laughs> on it but it's very early days so let's hope
0: yeah i for one i'm uh, looking forward a yeah, lot to that book yeah, whenever it comes too. out so yeah, absolutely. thanks uh, so much no, it's been a fascinating yeah. conversation
1: yeah and also i when only when we talk about these things I am able to articulate some things in my head. I haven't articulated all this in a way before.
0: Yeah. And. Great, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I think uh, we as educators need to have uh, many more of these conversations together as you said, because we are also learning and discovering things. So thank you so much. Thank you, it was lovely. Thanks,
1: yeah.